Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Shabbat Shalom. Here we are. Parsha Shabbat Shalom. Parshat Bo. Um, oh, no, Parsha. And we are going to be looking specifically at the plague of darkness. I'll let Rabbi Shapiro give us a little bit of a lead in to that plague. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say, or else I'll take away your thunder. Darkness, not thunder. Yeah, very good. Well played. All right, hold on, hold on. What's happening here? How do we do this again? Where are we? Oh, I found it. Okay, we're good. I got it. Eh? Huh? Did we do it? We did it. You know, it's been a while. I've been having more Zoom. Me- I've had to like re-up my Zoom meeting game this week, which has been, as Rabbi Schatz knows, I've only been marginally extraordinarily depressed about that. So, you know, I had I busted out like my backdrop back at home. It's a whole, it's a whole, uh, it's a whole thing. Okay. Parshat bow. We are uh, seven plagues in to this point. Um, I'm going to sort of just indicate, I'm not going to go through in depth um, for those who uh, remember the story and or various films and or the Seder, eighth plague, locusts. Uh, locusts are the eighth plague. I'm not going to rabbit shots anything we should say about locusts other than they are generally bad for crops and they were the eighth plague. No. Okay. So we're going to... Um, go right into the darkness piece. I guess I'll just sort of um, dip into like the end, the end of the locust, the plague of locusts, and then we'll go into the darkness. So Moses has brought this plague um, and I'm picking up kind of in the middle of chapter 10 um, and Pharaoh as, you know, has sort of become the pattern hurriedly summons Moses and Aaron and says, I stand guilty before the Lord, your God and before you, um, forgive me just this once, Rabbi Schatz and I were learning a bit with Rabbi Kligfeld this week, and we're noticing sort of how it's interesting, how it's or it's it's always like just this one time, right? It's it's just this one time. It's always just one more, and it seems like that's really it, but it's never quite really it until the big number ten. Um, plead with God so that He may remove this death from me. Moses leaves Pharaoh's presence, pleads with God. God brings this strong wind which lifts the locusts and hurls them into the sea of reeds. Um, and all of the locusts were gone. Not a single locust remained. Um, and, you know, then, then again, sort of the, the famous construct that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, um, which is complicated and challenging and theologically disturbing for a variety of ways. We're not going to dwell on that today, but just sort of nodding at that and recognizing it. And once again, um, Pharaoh does not send Bnei Israel uh, out. What's interesting, I, I didn't mention this to Rabbi Shaft beforehand, what's, what's interesting to me is that, you know, oftentimes going into plagues, there's sort of that that, that back and forth between Moses and Pharaoh or Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh sort of saying like, are you going to let us go now? And he says, no. And then the plague comes, but that doesn't happen for this plague, right? It just sort of like, it, it just sort of comes in um, right on the heels of the other one. I, I don't have a drosh on that or anything like, and here's why I think that is, but I was noticing it and I, and I think it's kind of interesting. Um, Rabbi Schatz will give 
the answer to that as she always does. Um, so in terms of the verses that we're going to be looking at more closely, we're in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21, 22, and 23, right into the darkness. Vayomer Adonai Amoshe, God says to Moses, Raise up, hold up your arm towards the sky, towards the heavens. And there will be darkness upon the land of Egypt. Uh, it will be, it will be a, a JPS, a, a darkness that can be touched. It will, it will be a, a tangible darkness, right? Something, something that you can, that you can feel. Um, quick side note, which, you know, uh, business as usual. Uh, I think I was in Gvert Orbach's class in sixth grade and we had to make dioramas and I had Choshech to make a diorama for. And so, so we took like a, a couple of black hairnets and I made like the darkness out of the hairnet for the diorama. I remember that very clearly. It was about, it's about as artistically creative as I get is, is darkness out of hairnets, but like a, a tangible darkness. I don't know if it actually felt like a hairnet, but that's what comes to mind for me. Okay. Vayet Moshe et Yado he does as God told him to do. And indeed, there was this thick darkness in all of the land of Egypt, Shloshet uh, Yamim, for three days. Lo ra'u ish et achiv, a person did not see his fellow, people couldn't see each other. Velo kamu ish mi tachtav Shloshet Yamim. And for the for three days, um, uh, each each person could not get up. Kamumi like couldn't get up from like underneath. Couldn't get up from where he was. And however, for all of the Israelites, there was light in their dwellings. So I'll just say. I mean, I have a lot to say on these verses. I always you know, find them to be um, compelling and interesting. I think there's um, some some interesting uh, sort of ways of thinking about what darkness is. Um, I'll foreground sort of in the realm of the mental health realm that we often um, nod into here, right? That that darkness is more than just darkness, right? It's It's not just about how much light there is or isn't, but there's also right, a relational component here in terms of verse 23 that we see very clearly, right? That, that when we talk about darkness, it's being described in the construct of how people can or cannot, you know, see each other face to face, which is interesting, right? There's a lot of ways of describing what darkness is, and here it's in the context of people relating to each other. Um, and the, the flip side to that is, you know, what, what's going on, what makes it possible, um, for Ben Israel to still, to still have, uh, this light. I have a lot more that I want to say about it, but that would take, that would take up too much time. And 20, it's 2022. It's a new rabbi match up here. I'm going to be mindful of how much I talk. How, how have I been doing on that so far, Rabbi Schatz? Great. Well, it was your turn. So you've done a great job so far. Um, now, <laughs> now's the real test. Uh, okay. Um, can you actually make it a little bit bigger, Rabbi Shapiro? Thank you. Okay. Uh, no, that's smaller. 
Yep. Um, great. So any kushiot, I will also uh, keep my keep my thoughts on this to a minimum bef- before and during your kushiot. Uh, just just to plug our bar mitzvah tomorrow, uh, he he is giving his drosh on the plague of darkness. Uh, so if you are interested in more of this, please tune in or show up to the bar mitzvah tomorrow morning. And uh, uh, I, I know that it's a good rush. I, I've inside baseball on that one. Um, can you, can you uh, uh, scroll? Yeah. Uh, no, no, stop, 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 stop. You're very annoying. Okay, scroll down a little bit, a little bit more. Okay, great. All right, Renee, I saw your hand first and then Nancy. Maybe it's just been, a, it may have been just like a typo, but it said that he hold out your arm. Like only one, he only needed one arm. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of curious why only one. And also, um, I also was looking into the thinking about the emotional component of the Israelites being um, enjoying light and connections with one another, and and the Egyptians not having a connection with each other in the dark because it was they, they were so gloom and doom. Great. Yeah. Uh, beautiful drosh on that. I think it's always Yado. Um, I, I'm saying that without looking it up, but I'm pretty sure it's always just one of um, Moses's hands or one staff. I don't think it's both. I think it just has to do with um, the way in which we might, you know, if you raise a hand, you raise one, not both. Uh, I think it just, I think it's just a thing. I'm not sure that there's so much Torah behind that. I think it just, as opposed to both hands, um, but it isn't, it is not a typo. It is um, how it seems to be throughout all of Moshe's experience of either casting plagues or, um, or even when the sea splits, it's just one hand. So, okay, Nancy. Uh, well, I know three is a thing, but um, I'm curious why three days or what does, you know, is there any mm. significance to three days? Great. I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro found anything on this, but three seems to at least moderately signify a long time, (laughs) right? Like it wasn't one day and two days you were kind of still okay with it, but three days felt like it could go on forever. It seems to be what the rabbis are saying. I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro found more on that. It's not what I focused on, Um, but he's raising his eyebrows. So maybe that means that he did find something. I I don't know how to to speak that language yet. but great question. And numbers always are very uh, either specific and let's call it metaphorical or symbolic or just very general in the Torah. So um, interesting to know which one, which category this one goes into. Denise, Joanna, and then Michael. Okay, so um, it feels almost like there was, kind of, I don't know if a choice, but like there's a certain response on the part of the Egyptians because like the darkness descended mm-hmm. okay and they couldn't see each other but for three days no one could get up like that kind of sounds like that had to do with their response to it like almost like when covid started and everybody was freaking out and then there were some people who just took the attitude of like well whatever happens you know like some people were like oh my god it's the whole world it's everywhere and then some people were like well whatever happens, it's the whole world. It's everywhere. We're all in it together. And it sounds like the Egyptians did not go with that second option. They went with, oh my God, it's everywhere. And just froze. 
Yeah, I'm so glad that you went on to explain it because I was going to ask you to to say a little bit more about what you meant by that. Um, but I, I love that interpretation of it. And I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro was catching on to this, but you just described the way in which Rabbi Shapiro and Rabbi Schatz were very different at the beginning of COVID. Um, one of us was very doomsday about the whole thing and the other one of us was not. You are welcome to decide which one of us was which. Um but I, I do think that what you... One of us was right, and the other <laughs> of us was wrong. Oh, very interesting. Um, that is a perspective. That I, oh, I, do... I don't need any food. It's just going to be a couple of days. It's going to be fine. An optimist, I think, is what we call that. Okay, so this is... But I agree with you, Denise, that, that that this seems to be something that was debilitating for the Egyptians. And I'll add, you didn't you didn't say this, but it's possible that they could have had a different option, right? They could have had right. Uh, they exactly. could have made it. That, that's what I was thinking. Oh, that is what you were saying. Okay, great. So, so I didn't say it, but you oh. figured it out. I just okay. wasn't articulate, but huh. <laughs> I'm so glad to have figured it out. But yeah, they could have had a different they could have had a different reaction, right? They could have done something different than just sit where they were. Um, I always think of when you learn about the laws of Shabbat, you often hear about how um, when people first knew what they couldn't do on Shabbat, whether this is true or just an old wives tale, people would just sit in the dark because they weren't sure if they walked on the dirt. Was that, was that a malacha? Was that something they weren't supposed to do? And obviously homes, um, were were made of of dirt uh, floors in those days, right? Would they just sit where they were for 25 hours and not move uh, because of all the the stringencies of Shabbat? Or would they find the ways in which they could observe the laws of Shabbat but still live their lives? So you bringing this to our attention also reminded me of that, that that there are ways in which we could just stay put, stay very kind of um, stuck, so to speak, or they could have had a different reaction. Fascinating. Thank you. Uh, Joanna and then Michael. So um, I'm fascinated by this expression that um, they could touch the darkness and because it's, it's not, normally the sense we would you know we would normally talk about being able to like see the darkest or not Mm -hmm. see through the darkness and um it reminds me a little bit one of my kids was always sort of like combining senses with what he was experiencing in ways that most of us wouldn't interesting you know most of us would look um you know, would anticipate rain by by looking up at the sky and saying it looks like rain because we see gray clouds. And his expression always was, it smells like it's going to rain today. Uh. And it's true sometimes there's like a certain smell in the atmosphere just before it rains. But yeah. So that kind of thing is fascinating and why mm. that expression. Yeah. And not so much of a question, but the other thing that struck me here is, if I remember the text correctly, there's no involvement of the staff in the 10th plague. Like God just brings about that final devastating plague. So the contrast yeah. is interesting because the first plague starts with striking the staff towards the ground. And this last one involving the staff is up to the heavens. Interesting. Great. Yeah, that is a, that is a fine distinction. 
Um, though we're not focusing on the darkness that you can touch, it does it does remind me of the uh, later on when we get the Ten Commandments, one of my favorite pieces of Torah, which is that the people saw the voice, the voices coming from God, right, that we all experience things in a different way and that our senses can be heightened uh, in different ways, depending on on how we're experiencing something. And so this idea that this darkness was so thick that whether you actually could touch it or it just felt like it was so thick that, that if you've ever been in San Francisco when there's really bad fog, it's a similar kind of experience where you feel like you can touch it. You can't actually obviously touch it, but you feel like if you were in it, you'd be able to grasp onto it. Um, so yeah, it, thank you for, thank you for bringing that example, especially of the rain. I, that's a, it's a really, a really easy one for all of us to connect to. Uh, Mike. Well, I was thinking about going back to Noah in the in the flood. I think it was mm-hmm. Rabbi Cherney in a in a teaching yeah. uh, that talked about how it must be, uh, you know, when we're thinking about the emotional aspects of it, to not be able to see anything around you and how yeah. disorienting that is. And yeah. uh, uh, it may it gave me a different. You know, so for the Egyptians, it, uh, the idea of this darkness, it, yeah. it gave a different uh, feeling for when, when we were talking about Noah, uh, a feeling for him having uh, having done this uh, and then having to experience this sort of nothingness, you know, and, sure. and being so alone. Sure. Yeah, a very, a very different and yet very resonant kind of comparison, right? That, that if we don't have any concept of what is beyond us, uh, for them because they were struck by darkness and for Noah because there, there wasn't anything to see, um, you don't know how to move forward. And so maybe that even connects back to what Denise was saying, right? That, that, um, oh, Rabbi Shapiro found another something connecting this with the story of Noah. Well, that is very interesting. Um, that this could also have been something that just like kept them in their place, right? Because they didn't know how to expand outwards because uh, they couldn't see what was beyond their own their own faces. Uh, Rebecca, and then we can uh, move on to Rabbi Shapiro. Um, what struck me is that it doesn't say that they didn't see, you know, um, everything around them. It basically said they didn't see each other. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. one person did not see their brother or their brother. And yeah. I I find that interesting because obviously such darkness has so many consequences and so many um, scary, depressing elements to it that only the element that they don't see their um, their family basically is listed there. And then the Tenth Commandment leads to losing someone in the family. So mm. it's like we're sort of going in that direction. So it's not just darkness, but it's a darkness that is kind of breaking somehow relationships in the family or something. Yeah. And not to give anything away from Yoav's Rush tomorrow, but I, I think this is a very easy, a very easy uh, plague for us to associate with so many aspects of COVID, right? That that when you are sitting in a darkness, whether that's depression because you can't do anything or can't see anybody, or just because you are feeling as though this is never going to end and that's depressing, 
or because you've lost your job or because people around you are acting in such a way that makes you feel, you know, worse about the world you're living in or what, you know, plug in anything you want. You really, you really can have any situation. Um, but also just the fact that there was a certain kind of darkness for a very long time that I think some of us are feeling like we're back into now of keeping us away from those who bring light into our lives, right? Whether it's community or friends or, and there's an interesting, I won't, I won't give it away now so that Rabbi Shapiro can, can share his Torah first, but that there's a very interesting commentary on what it meant for the Israelites to have light and the Egyptians not to have light. And why couldn't they share that light? Uh, and the fact that some of our commentators basically just say it didn't work that way. The Israelites didn't have light that, that they could share. They had light that they could use and that they could experience. But once they would go into an Egyptian's home, the light was only for them. It didn't illuminate the whole house. Um, and that's the, for me, that's theologically problematic because I would want to be seen as a people who can bring our light to illuminate others um, as opposed to just keeping it for ourselves to teach someone else a lesson. Um, so thank you for sharing that and for giving me an opening to share that little piece of Torah. Uh, Rabbi Shapiro. I'll start with the piece that I sort of flagged when Michael was talking about Noah, because it it also connects, Rebecca, I think, with what you were pointing out in terms of like the breaking of relationship and how that's sort of anticipatory to the the last plague, right? Because, so I was flipping through um, Aviva Zornberg's work on Exodus again, Um, particulars of rapture. Great stuff. I, I I missed her in Brayshit, but I'm leaning on her in Shemot a bit more. Um, and she frames the question like, "What's so bad about darkness? Like, who cares? Right? They've had bloody rivers and locusts eating all their crops, and like, things have not been great. And then the lights go out for a couple of days, right? Like." It's it's not good. It's not what you would want, but compared to like wild beasts roaming the streets or everyone having herpes all over themselves, right? Like a few days of having the lights out, uh, not so bad, right? So so I'm sure I've thought about that question, but it's been a while since I thought about that question. And she frames it as thinking about me. She quotes. Uh, she makes the connection, pulling from Midrash. I don't know exactly what the Midrash is, but I'm, I'm guessing it's more than one because she says Midrash sources. But she's the one who connects it with this idea from the story of Noah and talks about how this actually articulates of a breaking of like the covenant that God made with Noah years and years ago, right? That at the end, right, when Noah finally comes out, that God says, as long as the earth endures and harvest and and planting and cold and heat and day and night shall not cease. But here they stop, right? Here the usual mechanisms of day and night stop, which is, it's the darkness in terms of all the ways that we're talking about it, but it's also not only is it the fact that it's three days, and I'm going to say one more thing in a second that actually suggests it was six days, not three days. Um, It was that chunk of time where people can see each other and couldn't connect with each other and whatever it is. It's symbolic of something much, much, much bigger than that. It's actually symbolic of, because I think folks know this, right? Even, and Rabbi Shatz, I don't know if this will connect with sort of your piece about the distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians, right? But whether 
you're B'nai Israel or not, there are the Noahide laws, right, that everyone is supposed to keep, right, that there's this covenant with all people and God, and then there's the specific covenant with the Israelites and God, but that covenant that got right, Noah wasn't Jewish. No, right? Noah, Noah was not part of, he wasn't an Ivri, he wasn't part of Nei Israel. So there is something that has been broken in this covenant. Um, and I just think that that's a really interesting framing for thinking about like, why is the darkness so bad? And, and what's really at stake when we talk about this particular type of darkness? Um, so I'm going to use that as kind of a, a launching pad to talk um, about this other piece that I saw, and it picks up on like it's it's um, Rashi's piece on this. Um, I'll I'll just sort of hold on. Hold on, there we go. Okay, and in the midrash they notice an interesting thing, right? We we've, we've talked about this before. Nothing in the Torah is by accident, right? There's no such thing as a redundant verse, word, letter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So three days is mentioned twice. Right. It's mentioned once in verse 22 and it's mentioned once in verse 23. So it was it was the thick darkness for three days. Right. So and, and a person couldn't see his fellow. And then the And then having experienced that darkness, people couldn't get up for another three days. Right. So there's the first phase where there's this really thick darkness. And then because of that darkness, there's the reverberating impact of that darkness. Um, and I think Rabbi Shatz is, is smiling a very big love, I love these kinds of <laughs> like little I love these pieces of Torah when when people can do that. I, that is awesome. Yeah. I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, when it comes to these relational pieces. And, and Denise, I mean, I heard you slightly different than Rabbi Schatz, less about those of us who had an accurate sense of what a pandemic would hold and those of us who had our heads in the sand and more about, um, right, there's, there's what happens to you or there's what happens to the world and then there's how you respond to it, right? There's the vast majority of things that happen in the world I cannot control, right? On a good day, I can control most of the things I do and most of the things I say. That's about it, right? But I can have some agency in terms of how I respond to the world around me. And if I'm going through a pandemic, I can respond with, even with an accurate sense of what it is, I can respond with fear and panic and, um, you know, uh, all of sort of those more negative emotions and getting lost in those. Or I can say, okay, this is something that's really happening. How am I going to try to, stay connected, be in relationship, help people who are in need of help, right? Like that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a, it's a two-parter, right? It's actually a two-part plague. First, there is the thick darkness that impacts the people and they can't see each other. And then because of that, even, even if, right, even if they can't, they're, they're just stuck in it, right? They can't even get up that the impact of that darkness reverberates and just sort of the, the other half move I'll make there is I think most people wind up in darkness at some point, right? Literal, right, whether it's literal or more figurative, right? We all have moments, I don't know about we all, I have moments, speaking of I statements, right? I have moments when I feel like things are really that thick darkness. 
And so then the question is, how do I still find a way to get up? How do I sort of say, yes, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. Okay. And I can't just stay in it for another three days. I, I still got to try to find a way to, to stand up and get up and keep, and keep doing what I need to do to, to actually relate to other people. So that's my, that's my, that's the Rashi and that's my Rashi riff. I, just before we call on everybody who raised their hand, I, I agree with you. I fully, I, I fully agree. And I think that not to continue using you and I as an example, but I think that it's also different in terms of the darkness being around you and then how you navigate it, like the different ways that you find light or the different people who you find to bring you that light. Like I think with, without, <clears throat> without patting myself on the back, I think that in certain times where <laughs> I feel like this is this is therapy for everybody to listen to how I expect my relationship with Rabbi Shapiro to go on a daily basis. Um, I think that at times when you are definitely being more of a realist about the darkness in the world, I get a dose of the the real the real world, right? I get a dose of like what that what that reality check really is. And you get a dose of my optimism that hopefully helps you not stay in that doomsday, the world is over type mentality that 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 people have around this very understandably around this pandemic that we're going through. So I think that the darkness could also feel different for different people and therefore is actually a really uh, that's why I like the three and three. Right. That's that it's possible also that the first three felt one way and the second three felt another way. Um, and that maybe some of that had to do with the, the realization of light elsewhere. Um, well, that, and, and I would, I would flip that around to say, I think that's, that's part of what, you know, being able to see each other really is. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Being right. able to, right. We, we have relationships with people who aren't identical to us because through that we are able to see pun intended more, right. More clearly what's really going on. Right. right? And, right. and to get a clearer sense, right. It's, it's the relationships we have are hopefully the things that bring us more fully into the world and help it see it more clearly, which sometimes feels lovely and sometimes feels less lovely, but it, but you still need to see clearly to be able to respond to what's happening around you and we all have yeah. a certain blinkered perspective right none of us has oh. right sort of like flipping back around the piece of tour that you love about sinai the the positive drosh on that is wow how amazing everyone sees it a bit differently the other piece of that is wow each one of us only has a teeny tiny piece of that yeah right and right, so right. we need yeah. to be in relationship with each other to to get more of it, it all together. Otherwise, otherwise we just have our own little piece of it right yeah, yeah. We, need, we need more we need relationships yeah. A lot of humans have been waiting. Yeah. Okay. Renee, then Denise, then Joanna, then Rebecca. So I like what you said about the three days and then making it in another three days. Cause I was thinking that it's like three days of actual darkness and three days of getting used to the darkness, you know, like your, your whole body physically, your eyes have to get used to when you go into darkness. And then when, like if you sit in a dark room and then you turn on the lights 
It yeah. takes time, not necessarily three days, but, and the same thing with an emotional, in an emotional sense that when people go through various experiences in their lives where they feel darkness, whether it's death or the COVID or whatever, that it also takes time. There's a time where we're literally sitting in the darkness. And then as we start to come out of it, there, there's more time where we're not necessarily in total darkness, but it's kind of in the gray before yeah. we can actually see the light. And I, I was saying this just to Rabbi Shots this morning, right? So Pressman Academy has, has been having in-person classes this week, um, and they've implemented like a test-to-stay policy. So, so even if um, kids have come into contact, certainly vac- definitely vaccinated kids, um, have kid, even if kids have come into contact with someone who has COVID, they can like test to stay. Meaning like, as long as you come in, in the beginning of the day, you get COVID tested, you get a rapid test. If you're negative, you can like stay within your cohort as a way of trying to mitigate some of the like zoom school and being so disruptive in any number of ways, et cetera. And so like this morning when I came into the building, unfortunately, unfortunately, I got to see a lot of people who I haven't seen in a while. Right. And I was saying to Rabbi Shots, it's like, I saw this person. I saw that person. It's been so long, right? And it, and it has ebbed and flowed like high holidays. Of course, I saw a lot of people, but it was just sort of another reminder of like, man, like we just don't see people like we used to. We just don't. And, and there is a darkness to that, you know? And, and part of it is that I'm an extrovert and I get energy from being around other humans. But I think there is like a darkness to that. Just the people who you're not going to necessarily send a check in email to or make a point to call on the phone or even text with just like the people who are part of the fabric of your life that we haven't been as connected to because of this schmutz that we've been dealing with for 22 months. But the flip side to that is like really feeling that light when you do see those people and trying to like, you know, savor that and amplify that and have that, have that sustain you, you know? So anyway, that's what- right. And again, actually, again, that my reaction to Rabbi Shapiro saying, look at all these people that I got to see this morning. My reaction was, you know why you saw them, right? <laughs> right. Like we actually had the opposite reaction to each other in terms of what that darkness is. Right. My reaction was so sad that they have to be in that line in this building, um, though, though they got to go to school, which is obviously a positive. But, you know, Rabbi Shapiro's reaction was, wow, I get to see them. They're here for, you know, whatever reason. So it is it is interesting. Those perspectives can change that 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 darkness, that feeling of darkness or sitting in that darkness uh, can be different per situation. Look at that. We found a moment. I was more optimistic than you. That's amazing. I think the good news is we have now sure. also taken everyone through all of the interactions that we've had today. So there's <laughs> no need to catch people up on any more of those. And we can actually now listen more fully to what other people. Oh, is that usually what we do? We take people through the interactions. I mean, day. I think we've referenced a number of them. Anyway, Denise okay, has had right. her hand up for a while. <laughs> so I don't see the passage right now, but it's something like it was dark and then nobody could stand up from where they were or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I just wonder if like the juxtaposition of those is telling us something that, um, that, that they couldn't see one another. It's sort of like, what if it doesn't only mean literally visually see, but, okay. but each person thinking I'm the only one who's experiencing this because that yeah. happens so often in depressing times and 
you know, yeah. just everyone feels like they're alone and they're the only one. And then, and then that mentality is what makes it that no one can get up, that they're all frozen. Beautiful. And that maybe that the Israelites enjoying <laughs> life is maybe that they just the Israelite view of the world wasn't like that, or they didn't make that choice. So it wasn't about withholding from the Egyptians so much as when you make a choice, you know, you go through a certain door and that's the room you're in based on what door you chose. So Denise, Yasher Koch Shekivant, like, like mm-hmm. nice job uh, articulating another of our sages, right? So Rabbi Yitzchak Avorki, one of uh, the Kutzka Rebbe's disciples, teaches on these verses. There is no darkness greater in the world that people do not see and do not want to see their fellows but each one worries only about themselves. When no one sees their fellow and worries only about themselves, then no one gets up from their place. There is no hope for revival or progress. Hmm. Right. Joanna. Um, so picking up on some of um, the things that have been said, I, this division of two sets of three days is really interesting to me because I think there's a potential read of the first three days, the Egyptians and the Israelites all experienced darkness because it was in all Eretz Mitzrayim. And it's only in the second set of three days that there's this contrast between the darkness that the Egyptians were experiencing and the light that the Israelites had. And the Egyptians were in darkness because each person couldn't see their fellow and all these ideas were discussing. And picking up on what Denise just said, I believe it's like a teaching of a Hasidic Rebbe, and I don't know which one, that... um, this story where the Rebbe gets a peek into Olam Haba and first he goes to hell. And what he sees in hell is like this beautiful, beautiful table laden with food, but everyone has locked elbows and no one is eating. And then he goes to um, heaven and sees the same scene and like questions, what's the difference? And all of a sudden he sees that, the people sitting across the table from each other are picking up the spoons and feeding the person sitting across from them. And so perhaps what, what is being expressed in, in this second phase is that the Israelites, it, if you would look at it, you know, quickly, the scene looked the same in, in the Egyptian homes and in the Israelite homes. But if you saw how they chose to deal with it, that's where the difference comes in. Um, And so just thinking that perhaps there's a potential read along those lines. I love that. I I I, I love that sort of amplification of Rafi, of Rafi. I was just down at the ECC uh, dancing with my three-year-old before I came up here. That amplification of Rashi, who is not my son, um, um, and and sort of further expanding that. Um, and I think that that parable, that that beautiful Hasidic story, um, it, you know, it it sort of is of a piece with that sense of. You, you can't control so many pieces of the situation that you're in, but you can control how you respond to it, right? That, that, peop, that people as individuals or as groups of people can be in exactly the same situation and respond or react to it completely differently, right? And, and, and part of that, by the way, I think also has to do with being an acceptance of the situation that you're in, 
Mm-hmm. Instead of fighting against it, right? In my head, in, in the Gehenom side of that parable, they're all like fighting with each other, each other trying to get unlocked. Whereas in Gan Eden, they're sort of saying, okay, we're locked. What do we do? Right? Now what? That, yeah. that I would say that there's like an acceptance piece to that first of saying, all right, so this is what we got. Here's, here's the situation that we're in. How are we going to respond to it rather than saying, why are we in the situation? I don't want to. It shouldn't be dark. We shouldn't have locked elbows. There shouldn't be a pandemic, right? Like, all right, well, this is what we got. What now? You know, it's a big difference. Let's have a Parsha class on Zoom. Let's have a Parsha class on Zoom and conscript Matt Shapiro to keep doing it, even though he said he wasn't going to. Gone Eden. Okay, Rebecca. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Um, what, what Rabbi Shapiro brought up about school kind of threw me into where we're in right now, in my home, um, with regard to that. Um, and it, it kind of made me think of a different aspect of the um, to the mental health that's related to COVID, which is that I kind of can connect the not getting up from under the darkness to um, not being back in a routine, which I find is often really very helpful. Yeah. You know, for, even when you're going through rough times, having that routine really helps you kind of deal with it. And taking away that routine initially and then giving it back in some way was, was somewhat helpful. Um, in our school right now, uh, we kept waiting for the email that would say that we're going back, you know, presume the first week or two. And instead we got the email yesterday that said we're getting another week of, uh, winter vacation. So there was a decision basically after these three weeks, not three days to stay under that darkness for another week. And um, the interesting thing was that my kids had different reactions because two of them said, there's no way we're going to Zoom again. That's horrible. And um, so maybe this is a good choice sometimes to just say, we can't have a good routine, so we'll let's temporarily forget about the routine. And, and you know resurface when it really has that ability to help us. Yeah. And and part of what's so difficult right now is A, everybody's experiencing it so differently, and B, there are you know massively different interpretations of what staying in darkness is. Right. For some people, staying in darkness means being in denial and sort of walking blithely out into the world. And for some people, staying in darkness means staying at home and continuing to, you know, have your life so drastically impacted by what's happening around you. I heard myself, I heard myself saying something that I, I did not expect to hear myself say, I was talking with someone today who was talking about um, going to a wedding, like a pretty big wedding in a couple of weeks. And I think folks um, here generally know that like, I've been pretty cautious when it comes to this stuff. Like I have kids, my three-year-old still isn't vaccinated. Like I, I've been pretty careful. Um, and I heard myself saying to this person, you should go. This is a good friend of yours. Yeah, there'll be a lot of people there, but everyone there has to be vaccinated. We have to keep living our lives. And that was based on guidance from a doctor who I spoke to earlier this week. And that's what she was advocating for, who has been pretty cautious all along. And one of her kids currently has COVID. And she was saying like, 
we can't, we, we just can't, we just can't stay in this forever. This isn't going away. Well, and, and that our lives, that same, that same doctor would also say, and our lives need us to feel as though there is joy to look forward to, even if there is moderate risk. Right. right? And so go into that wedding, knowing that, that you might, you might be taking a risk more so than whatever your normal routine looks like day to day. Bringing that joy into your life is something, is that light, is, is, is meaningful, even if there is going to be some amount of risk um, yeah. that you otherwise daily wouldn't be bringing into your life. And, and I also said to her, like, I don't even know if I know I agree with what I'm saying, <laughs> but, I, but I think there, but I think there's but I think there's what to say in the other direction. Meaning yeah. like I was invited to that wedding. I wouldn't go because one of my kids is still unvaccinated. Right, right. If all of my kids were vaccinated. I still don't know that I would go. But I, yeah. but I think also, and I think this get, gets back to Rabbi Schatz's example of like, you know, one of us can feel one way, one of us can feel the other way independent, right? Part of this is also just like a willingness to be in relationship and relationship and talk to each other, right? Instead of just hunkering down because because I think, um, I think light comes from interaction and dialogue, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's part of what we're seeing is just by virtue of talking about stuff openly and honestly, there's, there's light in that. I know a couple of hands have been up for a while, but I want to make sure to, to toss this piece out there. You, just in the time Kumash, I saw a really interesting piece that sort of flips the not seeing each other's faces um, on its head, which is that in the Mishnah, the way that they describe right, the, the the rabbis of the Mishnah are very, very concerned about how you know when you can say what time of day you can say certain prayers. And Rabbi Shatz, no, I care I deeply about that. I, I don't go a, a, a day without being worried about at what time I can say the various prayers that I say. Right. Um, but the way that they define dawn is when you can see uh, uh, somebody's face from a certain distance. Yeah. Right. That's how you know what light is. When you oh, can, very good. When you can see another person. Good job. Right. Thanks, Rabbi. Yeah. Um, yes, so, so that's that. Thank you, Eitzchayim Kumash. Um, so so that's that's the other direction of it, right? Just as darkness is not seeing someone, light is when you can see someone. I think weaves through a lot of the different pieces. Denise, you have been waiting so patiently and has left the class because of how long I made her wait. Denise, do you want do you want, do you want to share what you're thinking about? So, yeah, just um, it was making me remember in the '94 earthquake. So the lights went out, and eventually they came on after a few hours. But the gas was out, and I think the gas I think took longer because it was like more dangerous in an aftershock or so I don't really know, but it was just really cold and no stoves or anything. And everybody was sort of complaining and in not total darkness because we had electricity, but no heat and no this and that. And like everyone I knew was eating peanut butter and cereal and stuff. And my mother, who we always used to joke that she could feed people in a nuclear winter because there's always a ton of stuff in the house made chicken cacciatore in the microwave and it was just so cool and it was and it brought so much light just that she did something normal in a really rudimentary way but it was like the most precious dinner we ever had like work working within what is right yes exactly this is what we've got like 
yeah okay oh my god all the food's gonna spoil in the freezer okay let's cook it up in the microwave right right yeah absolutely makes a lot of sense sarah's story about that with her family by the way is they they just had a bunch of like uh, cherry mickey mouse lollipops that they had to get by on but the the microwave chicken cacciatore sounds sounds a lot tastier we Uh, ate cheerios i was eating whatever i was eating in chicago and i didn't know what in north oh right you weren't here (laughs) (laughs) correct uh marlise and or gary good morning um it's still morning i don't know um I just, as everyone was talking, I was thinking about this podcast that I listened to, to learn about COVID. Um, Dr. Osterholm, and I always, you know, talks about all the different facts around the country and different topics. But one thing, he also, he's from Minnesota, and he has kind of this, I don't call, because we're going to talk about light, and he actually monitors how much light there is in in the daytime. Um, so since December 21st, the solstice, there's 10 more minutes of light. And in June, it's going to be like almost seven hours more of light than there is right now. Um, and there's just so he kind of, you know, it was a very like hopeful note, more light is coming. And it's, it's interesting how it's metaphorical, but it's also really that it, it is actually a physical thing. You know, sure. people do get, get depressed when there's, you know, in the winter yeah. and, um, so I just thought it's just kind of moving to me that along with all the facts and figures and, you know, scientific inquiry, that's just a, um, a very simple thing that uh, he, he looks at to um, bring to his community. Yeah, I, I think we've we definitely hear that a lot, especially in the winter months, obviously. Um, and with COVID, I think, you know, it, it just it makes it all the more so dark. Can we get rid of that already? Rabbi Shots, can you get working on that? Yeah, you and I are going to, we'll just, we'll just let the government know that we think that we should just be done with it. Is that what you want? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Great. I'm on, on it. On it. It'll be my next, my, my next email. Okay. Bye. Me? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I just, uh, I, I just think that, you know, it, it makes the, I, I love the idea about the six days and, and the idea that nothing is a given and, uh, and that uh, uh, the idea that people sort of have expressed of, uh, of take advantage uh, of what you have and, uh, and brings to mind here in Texas uh, that, uh, you know, we had the, we, uh, not a blackout, but, uh, the power crisis, uh, last winter and, uh, people were sitting in their houses in, uh, you know, 45 degrees for three or four days and, uh, without water also. And, um, it was pretty, for a lot of people, uh, it was a pretty, uh, rough event and yeah. eye opening. Yeah. Right. And to go back to that story that we were talking about, that Hasidic tale, um, right, the way in which people felt like they got to come out of that or at least feel seen was by others helping them, whether that was bringing them into their homes where they did have power or finding ways to get them food and water and, uh, you know, that 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 very much happened in this community in San Antonio. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Rabbi Shapiro. Yeah. I'm just turning it back over to you. If was you that my was that my bow cue? Was that a bow cue? Oh, sure, yeah. 
Did you have a bow? You didn't get to talk very much today. I didn't do, I didn't do well though. No, I know. I think I actually, I really thought that everybody shared a lot of really beautiful Torah and we got to, we got to respond to it. I like when we don't talk and they do. Um, I, I, I think that this is something that we can all really relate to. It's a, it's something that to go back to what um, we kind of started off by saying there is something very powerful about this kind of darkness, whether it's that you feel it or you can touch it or you experience it, you experience it. Uh, very good. Rebecca just said tie a bow on Parshat bow. Yes, very, very good. Um, that, uh, you know, that we, we all are experiencing different kinds of darkness and that we each, un, unlike what the rabbi said in terms of the Israelites having light and everybody else being in the darkness, we need to figure out how to share that light. And that doesn't mean that you're going to fix everything. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to make people feel better um, who are in a different kind of darkness than you. But casting that light in their direction or being that light for them is the most important thing that we're able to do uh, during any point of darkness. This message would be the same with or without a pandemic. So uh, that, that would be that would be my bow that we can each be the light in one another's lives when there are moments of darkness. Um, can I bow on your bow since our par- it's partial? Yeah. Double bow? Double yeah. bow for bow? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I also wanted to acknowledge something that Mike said, which I think is important, which is that it's not just figurative. I mean, I think we were talking about a lot of figurative stuff, but there are, mo- like, if if power's out, like, if there isn't light, there are actually life or death consequences. And I just, like, I, I just want to acknowledge that very briefly, um, but intentionally, because we were talking about this metaphorically, but yeah. this, this isn't only metaphorical um, and that this can be life or death for some people and for people who are um, in places where they can't necessarily get that kind of help like that there was a real tragedy for a lot of people and I think that's a that's a real thing too Um, Mm -hmm. I had had one more thought I was going to close that I was going to close with but I saw Bonnie's hand shoot up so I want to give Bonnie a moment to say something and then I'll wrap us up well I just wanted to say that it's been very dark in my life past we talk about six days. It feels like we had 300 and then this other 300 mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. over the two years. And um, right now I'm experiencing a lot of illness and death amongst friends. And you all helped to bring some light into my life this morning. And I- Thank you, Bonnie. I, I also want to say that, Bonnie, I think you, you bring, I, I am always glad to see you. I think you bring some really beautiful light. I'll also say that I got to see Bonnie reading to some kids in the library here um, at the school a couple of weeks ago. And that brought a lot of light, right? I think we each have the capacity to bring light, even when we might be feeling some darkness. Um, and along those lines, I was very excited. I, I quoted the commentary in the Eitzheim Kumash, but there was a bonus phrase in the Eitzheim Kumash that, that I was too excited about to not share with you before we wrap up. Uh, the commentary just before it said, Perhaps the Egyptians were depressed by the series of calamities that struck them or by the realization of how much their own comfort depended on the enslavement of others. Here we go. The person who cannot see his neighbor is incapable of spiritual growth. It says spiritual growth. I was very excited. Ding, ding, ding. The person who cannot see his neighbor is incapable of spiritual growth, incapable of rising from where he is currently. Um, So I would then in turn flip that around. Right. When we see each other, we are capable of growing and changing and evolving 
um, and learning in the ways that we really need to. Um, so as Rabbi Schott said, some people, a lot of you guys shared a lot of really beautiful stuff this morning, which I think brought, shed some light ha, 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 on these topics. Um, and hopefully that is each of us, you know, moving uh, one, one step further along in kind of the direction that we want to be growing and learning um, as we move through uh, what we're going through. I know we're two minutes over and every terrible rabbi sermon has like six endings. So I realize that I'm doing that right now, but I, I want to just add one last thing, which is we've talked a lot about people finding light in those around you. Uh, and when Rabbi Shapiro mentioned Bonnie reading to kids at Pressman, that is a light for all of us who get to watch Bonnie do that. And for those kids, and also that's bringing light into your own life. You, we also can can focus on the ways that we can create that light uh, for ourselves. It doesn't have to be that it comes from others. It's beautiful when it can, but also reminding ourselves that there are ways in which we take care of our own mental health, our own spiritual health, our own physical health that bring light to moments of darkness um, and that that's just as powerful, if not sometimes more so powerful uh, when we when we might not have another opportunity to be in people's presence. So um, that was that was my last bow on all the other bows. And another bow, bow. My 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 light that I'll bring is to stop adding bows to more bows. <laughs> awesome. All right. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Um, hope to see you. Talk, rabbis for bringing light to us. Mm, thanks. Today. Thank you. Uh, hope to see many of you over Shabbat and, uh, and hope, that this is, hope that this is a healthy and safe week for all of you. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.